Good morning, and uh, as Catherine said, um, first of all, let me throw this disclaimer. I didn't say it's going to be a great message, because that kind of sounds like I'm bragging on myself, okay? But it's just one of those, kind of if, if there's anything with a warning label, man, if you were here last week, it was just a convicting uh, message, and uh, I'm, you know, that's what God's Word does to us, and, and so um, I had so many texts and phone calls of, hey, you didn't just step on our toes, you broke my toes. Um, and I just want you to know that's not me, okay? That's the Holy Spirit working and um, just pray that God continues to do that. But as we've transitioned in this Jesus series, it's really easy to see the miracles of Jesus and look at his early life. And we're in this, we started this last week, the message of Jesus. And you probably have heard this, man, the message of the gospel is offensive, there are things that it is totally um, takes things in our culture, things that we believe, things that we've grown accustomed to, our thoughts, and we'll just hit it head on. And so, um, and this is another tough, tough one. I feel like every, the next couple of weeks is just going to be tough because God calls us out of our comfort. Um, following Jesus wasn't meant or is it designed to be easy. And so we're along in this ride Together, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, so you can go ahead and turn there. While you're turning there, 50% of our church lied that you don't have cell phones, so I hope you feel good about yourself that you lied in church. Um, take that up with the Lord later. Um, the altar's open, okay? Um, but uh, man, we have been on this incredible journey. If you missed last week, really kind of coming off, this is kind of the same vein in a lot of ways. Luke does a great job writing um, really kind of connecting the dots in this manner. But last week, we witnessed this tension between these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And it wasn't just this tension of sibling rivalry. If you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. But it was this, uh, this uh, tension where they invite Jesus over and Martha is doing all the preparing. She's getting, you know, whatever, cleaning, cooking, all that kind of stuff that was culturally uh, what was supposed to happen at the time. But then uh, Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so Martha's frustrated. She comes out, says, Jesus, like, aren't you gonna tell her, like tell her to, to get up and help me. And Jesus says, hey, listen, Mary, you're distracted. You're anxious about a lot of things, but what Mary has chosen is the good portion. And so we kind of looked and said this really this question, I don't know if you've been processing this this week, is are we too busy for Jesus? Because we can be busy with a lot of things and miss the most important thing. And while Martha was doing good, good things, prepare, I mean, the savior of the world is in her house. I mean, I'd be doing something, you know, like, well, I need to get the best coffee and the best china and all that stuff. What Mary did is she said, I just want to be in the presence of Jesus. I just want to be right here at his feet. And so we see this. So we looked, just kind of recapping, because it is connecting the dots this morning, is that Martha was frustrated. She was, she was going and doing and doing and just busy. And Mary was captivated. Hopefully you remember that. If you take notes, go back and listen to it um, online. Um, if you missed it and you weren't here last week. But Mary was captivated. And if you think about this, this is really huge in the life of a believer, that really the foundation of following Jesus is our captivation of who he 
is. That's what uh, Luke does all throughout his gospel, redefining and showing us who Jesus is in his life and for us to be captivated by that, okay? And with that captivation, we have seen all throughout this series that Jesus is repeatedly really throwing out this invitation to people to come and follow him. Hey, be a part. If, I, if this has captivated your heart, come and follow me. It's over and over and over. We see he um, kind of threw out that invitation. Then he throws it out in our lives now. And so we see this for us to follow him, this opportunity. So here's what I wanted to do this morning. This, I know it's a little bit different, but I know it's early. Maybe the coffee hasn't hit just, just right. Um, yet, but I want you to do this. If you're taking notes or if you do have a cell phone, 50% of y'all, okay, um, you get a note section. I, I don't want it to be a distraction to you, but I want you to think about this question, all right? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And here's what I want you to do in your notes or on your phone and your notes app, whatever. I want you to write or type three things that you think it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, before you do that, all right, this is participation. Don't just stare at me in the next minute, okay? Um, as you're doing that, be specific. Don't just be like my kids. They're like, Jesus, okay? Uh, lo love God, all right? Okay, everybody knows that. But I want you to be specific. What does it mean to follow Jesus, all right? I'm gonna give you a minute, all right? I know it's gonna be awkward silence and that's okay. I want you to think about this, process this and write it down and put it in your notes, all right? I'm gonna give you a minute to do that. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? You don't have to write a dissertation, <laughs> but just write, write down some things, maybe about 15 more seconds. What does it mean to be a disciple? And I really want you to look at this and really kind of process this and set a reminder. Maybe you want to look at it every day this week in your time, um, when you wake up, when you go to bed. But, um, but here's the thing. I think for many of us, if I was to go around and kind of individually, there would be some overlap. At least I would hope so. There would be some overlap of how you defined and wrote down what does it mean to be a disciple. But at the same time, there's probably some differences. And really, for a lot of us, we could fall in two different camps. One, you wrote those things down and you look at it now and you're like, I'm a big failure. And you look at it and you're like, there's no way. I kind of just did, did the biblical thing. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I look at it and there's no way I'm gonna do that. But you could also be in another camp where you wrote down things that you feel like you're doing really, really good at to justify that you are a good disciple of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's horrible. There is no hope, okay? I'm not saying that. But so many times we'll write down things because we don't, when you look at it, you don't wanna feel bad. You don't want to feel like, okay, I could probably improve in some areas in my relationship with God. There's some things that I'm not doing that I know I should be doing. And so you write things that you're like, okay, read the Bible. Okay, I'm already kind of doing that. Okay, go to church, whatever. And what we're going to see, once again, Jesus is going to step on some toes, 
is that Jesus in Luke 14 ups the ante and really punches cultural Christianity in the face and says, hey, it's not just this simple, simplistic, make yourself happy over here, but it's a commitment. And even there's a cost to following Jesus. Now, I'm big, I hope you know our church is big in context. There's so many churches, there's so many pastors that will just read a verse and like totally take it out of context. You probably have seen that at some point in time and you're like, that's not even right, you know? And so I, I, really, I really am a big fan of setting up and bringing some context because what we're gonna read is in the later part of chapter 14, and what we have to know is at this point, the crowds are following Jesus, man, his approval rating is high and everything's going good. But there is this group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees that are kind of lurking in the shadows. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they were like the spiritual police, all right? They were the ones that were like, you didn't follow that rule, right? According to law, you need to do this and do that. And they were very legalistic of the day. And, and so when Jesus comes, which I think, you know, to some credit of the Pharisees, we would probably do this. And Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, I'm a son of man. You would probably be like, I don't know, you know, like you would probably be skeptical as well. So the Pharisees were really skeptical. But what we see in the New Testament is they're always kind of lurking in the shadows. Almost, I always see this as an illustration. It's almost like they're hiding in a bush and they're ready to pop out and like a gotcha moment to Jesus. Like, ah, gotcha kind of thing because they're wanting to catch him doing something that's against the law, against the Jewish customs, all these different things. And so in chapter 14, this kind of starts and it's very intentional. This is what what happens? Jesus and his disciples are traveling. Remember, his face is to Jerusalem. And a Pharisee invites Jesus into his house and invites some other friends, some other Pharisees, probably some of the disciples are invited into the house. And very intentionally, now there's not a lot of detail in this, and you have to kind of look at all the gospels to see this, but the Pharisee invites a man who has a disease. Now, it's known in scripture as dropsy. Now, for all you medical people, I'm probably gonna butcher this, but dropsy is kind of uh, inflammation where your tissue um, is swollen with fluid. It can also be a cause of, uh, from heart failure or liver or kidney disease. Um, I see some people shaking their hands, so maybe I just got my WebMD degree, okay? Um, you'll get that later, but... Uh, and so he, he, uh, the Pharisee invites this man, which is like really odd because you know this, that at the time you didn't associate with people with diseases. One, because they had a disease. This is the viewpoint. They had a disease because that was because of their sin, their, their disobedience to God. That's why God gave them that disease. And then two, if you, um, associated or got close to someone with a disease, it was contagious and you would get it. But in this instance, a Pharisee invites this man with a disease to dinner with Jesus, knowing they're using this, this man with a disease as bait. Knowing that because of Jesus's mercy, his compassion, that he would be like, man, I'm, I need to heal this guy. Well, here's the kicker. It's Sunday. It's the day of the Sabbath. And so according to Jewish law, no one can work, can't do any healings. You can't do any of that. And so they're just waiting like, ha ha, we're gonna set them up. Jesus is not gonna be able to withstand the temptation of healing this man because of his mercy and his love and his care. So let's invite him over. So he invites him over. And I love this. This is what I love about scripture because Jesus is Jesus and the guys don't even, the Pharisees don't even have to say anything. Jesus is like, hey, let me ask you guys a question. 
is it legal to heal this guy on the Sabbath or not? And they kind of like look, each, look at each other. And scripture says, it says, um, they remained silent. Now, I tend to think that they're probably like, okay, don't say anything. Because we want to see if he really does this. If he does it, it's illegal. And so they, don't, they remain silent. And so then Jesus looks at the man, heals the man with a disease and says, hey, why don't you go home, man? This, you know, you're good now. And so then he turns to the Pharisees. I love this. He turns to the Pharisees and he, and he says this, which of you having a son or an ox, if they fell into a well on the Sabbath, would not go and rescue that, that animal or your son? So he's probably looking, I mean, he's really saying, hey, someone was in need and am I supposed to say, well, it's Sunday, it's the day of the Lord, <laughs> you know? I can't heal you, man, I know your disease stinks, but you know, it's against the custom and traditions and all that stuff. No, he's showing that the people's needs are above those things. And so when Jesus says this total Jesus juke, I mean, he's like the, the OG in that, okay? Is that he, he says, hey, is, which one, which one, which one of you, if your son fell in a well or you had an animal like an ox fall in a well on a Sabbath, would you go rescue him? Once again, the Pharisees are silent. And then Jesus goes in and he tells two different parables. And I love this. The first one is the parable of the wedding feast. I am connecting this to um, 14. Okay. Where we're going to be today. But the wedding feast parable is the story where Jesus says, Hey, if you get invited to a wedding, don't sit in the, in the place of honor. Now, we probably all have been to a wedding. You know how that goes. Some of them take like seven hours. And I'm like, can we just hurry up, okay? Um, but you know, at the reception, usually the bride and the groom sit somewhere and they usually have their parents sitting next and the family. And so Jesus says, hey, don't be that guy that shows up and is like, hey, I'm, I'm really important. I'm gonna sit right next to the bride and groom. He says, instead, sit at the lowest spot at the, at the wedding. And then he says, and here's the point of the parable. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So here's another connection. Not only are people with disease and sickness important, more important than tradition and rules. Now he's saying what's important is you need to humble yourself. It's not about you. Then he goes into a second um, parable, parable of the great banquet. Now this is, he says, hey, there's this guy, he has lots of money. He's gonna prepare all this yummy food and he's gonna invite all these friends. He tells his servant, hey, go invite all the friends to, and tell them the food is ready. And his friends, he, I mean, imagine this. One friend says, oh, you know what? I bought some land, but I need to go check it out. So I'm not able to make it. Now, who buys land and doesn't check it out? Have you ever done that? I mean, I know we live in like a Greenville real estate market where people are like buying houses sight unseen, but um, that's kind of crazy. Like I want to see the house first, right? And so this guy's like, ah, I bought some land, but I, I'm not gonna be able to make it. I need to go see that. Then they go to another guy and he's like, hey, I bought three oxen. I'm not gonna be able to make it to this party because I need to go examine the oxen. That's like buying a car without looking at it, okay? Then this third person he comes to, he's like, hey, the food's ready, come to the party. And this person, I love this, I think this is funny and I'm just gonna let it be here. He goes, I'm married, I can't go. <laughs> Maybe I thought that was funnier than you guys did, but I just thought it was funny. He's like, I'm married, not gonna make it. <laughs> and so anyway, the guy in the party says this, he says, hey, you know what? Tells his servant, I want you to go out and I want you to tell everybody who's poor, 
who's needy, who's crippled. I want you to invite them to this feast. And so they all come. And Jesus says at the very end of the story, all the people I originally invited will not be able to taste of this banquet. They missed out on a blessing. Essentially, that's the point of the story. They had excuses along the way. It's kind of like, I, I can't go. I got to wash my hair. So this kind of connects to what we were saying last week, where we make all these excuses of following Jesus, committing to Jesus, and all of that. And so we get to um, these, these uh, verses in chapter 14, and Jesus just brings it down. So let's read this um, together. This is going to be chapter 14, starting in verse 25. I probably won't read it all because I've talked a lot, a lot already. It says this, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, so this is after all of his teaching, uh, the, the crowd is leaning in. If anyone comes to me, it does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. That's some strong, strong language. Then he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, the man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let that step on your toes a little bit. Man, that is a sobering passage. What is Jesus saying here? He is up the ante. He's weeding out all these surfacey followers that are really kind of following him for his works and deeds and inspiring teachings. And he's saying, hey, you really want to follow me? Here's what it takes. Here's what it means to be a disciple. And I asked that question early on because of this. I think American Christianity, especially in the Bible Belt of the South, we have kind of adopted this reduced version of what Christianity looks like. It's this non-committal, half-hearted kind of butterflies and rainbows, makes you feel good. Let me kind of pick and choose what I like and I'm not offended by Christianity. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I came for. And you can imagine that the disciples at the time when he's saying, hey, you need to hate your mom, your dad, your sister, and your grandma and them, you know, and you need to take up your cross and follow me. The disciples are like, whoa, 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 Jesus, listen. We're not gonna get a lot of momentum. We're not gonna rally the troops with that kind of language. Why don't you just tell everybody, everybody's going to hell, you know. No, don't do that, you know. We need, a, we need to say this. We need to rally the troops, all these good things. You just made it super, super tough. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't trying to build a mega church. He isn't trying to have everybody like him. He's teaching the truth of his father and really wants to invite people once again to follow him so they can experience salvation. 
And I don't know about what, you, what your thoughts are on eternity. Eternity is a serious deal. It's forever. And so Jesus is coming and not kind of tiptoeing around it because it's important. And he says, this is what it means to follow me. And in a lot of ways in American Christianity, we've made it something that it's not. And so we see here and we see these things that Jesus is calling us to something that's uncomfortable. It's costly. It's not, it's not pretty. Notice that he also said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, go to church and follow me. He didn't say, get your kids their first little Bible and read that at night and follow me. He didn't say, hey, you know, um, just tithe and you're good. Follow me. Man, he said, take up your cross. Now, I want you to think about this. Because really, the first listeners, when Jesus says this, the cross isn't some pretty symbolic religious symbol. The cross was a torture instrument. It was a death sentence. It was the equivalent, you probably have heard this before, of a death chair, you know, electric chair. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying he's going to cost you something. And so we see this over and over and it meant something to them. And the first Christians see this, they hear this word and it's not some poetic language. Jesus isn't trying to be metaphorically speaking or anything like that. He's like, hey, following me is gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you something. Now let me address the hate your mom, dad, because what Jesus isn't saying is for us today, like if you wanna follow Jesus, don't call your parents after lunch and be like, I'm following Jesus. I hate you, mom and dad, all right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not teaching hate in the sense of go hate everybody if you really wanna follow me. This is comparative language. What Jesus is saying is your relationship, my relationship with God is so important it's such a high priority that it leads to such devotion and trust and love that I am so loyal to who Jesus is as a follower that comparatively speaking, it looks like I don't care about any other relationship. That I could care less about these things because man, Jesus is my everything. And so if you're taking notes this morning, a couple things just wanna hit, I'm gonna kind of go through these uh, fairly quickly. But the first one that we see, if we're gonna ask the question, what does it mean to take up your cross? All right, Jesus says that. The first one is to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now we see in Luke chapter nine where Jesus says, hey, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So this isn't just some new language that the disciples are at least hearing for the first time. This is something in his message. But think about this. When you are being crucified, at that time, people knew what to expect. And it was something that they would come, they would arrest you, they would tie your hands up, your feet up. You have lost all control. You are at the mercy of the person who's captured you, of the government, the ruler, whoever. And in a way, what Jesus is saying is that when your heart is captivated by God, you give up your desires in such a way that you say, God's desires are more important. Not that Jesus is asking us not to have wants and dreams and aspirations and all those things. I'm not saying that. But what Jesus is saying is, are those things filtered through bringing me honor and glory? So deny yourself. It's not about you. 
It's not about your plans. It's not about your purposes. It's not about your agenda or anything like that. Man, it is about Jesus. And when, when I, I forget where I heard this, but when the Roman soldiers came to your door to crucify you, it was a one-way trip. You knew this is it. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, we're looking towards Jesus and saying, I deny my desires. I deny everything that is part of my plan. I wanna go, some of us, I, I admit, I'm like OCD. I want things to go this way. And when it doesn't, kind of freak out inside a little bit. And sometimes I freak out outside. Anybody do that? Okay, good, I'm the only one. And, and so we do this because it doesn't go cookie cutter like we want. And Jesus is saying here to the disciples, to the Pharisees, hey, deny yourself. It's not about your wants. It's not about everything that you, you have planned. Follow me. And here's where you and I struggle, right? Is that the biggest idol in our lives is ourselves. The biggest idol in our lives, your life and my life is ourself. It's what we want. And in a lot of ways, we make ourselves God. I, I, it's up to me. I need to do this. I need to do that. Instead of surrendering, denying ourselves, and making it all about Jesus. Life isn't about you. We live in a world that even the gospel, we say, oh, this book is all about me. No, no, no. It's about Jesus. You're not the central character of this book. Jesus is. And so we have to live in such a way where we're denying ourselves. And here's the reality of this too, with this, this idea of idols, is that being asked to take up our cross really reveals the idols of our heart. When it comes to following Jesus and taking up our cross and following him daily and denying ourselves, you and I can see really quick what's important in our life. Because we start to say, well, I can't do that. I can't make that commitment. I got this, this, and this. We start to see the things that are priorities in our life over Jesus. We see what things weigh more than Jesus. And they're good things. I would say the majority of us in this room, those are good things. But at the end of the day, Jesus needs to be the priority and the filter where everything else goes. And so when we're asked to take up our cross, when he is asking this, you remember there's a story, I think this is uh, in Luke 9 too, where uh, once again, excuses. Jesus is like, hey, if you want to follow me. And the guy's like, well, first I need to go bury my dad. I need to go do that first. Or I need to go do this and do that. And it seems reasonable. But the point is, is that Jesus wants everything of us. He wants our plans and our desires to say, hey, you know what? I want to be fully committed to these things. The second thing that we see, and they're very similar. Not only do you need to deny yourself, you need to die to yourself. Now here's the difference. Denying yourself is saying, okay, it's not about my dreams and my life. Dying to yourself is saying, I'm gonna promote Jesus in the life that he gives. That I'm not gonna radiate everything that's about me. I wanna radiate everything that's about Jesus. So the way that I, my work ethic, I want people to see Jesus. The way I parent, I want people to see Jesus. The way I love my spouse, I want them to see Jesus. The way I talk, the way I interact, on social media, the way I think, the way I take care of people, I want them to see Jesus. And that takes intentionality, as we said last week, but it also takes a commitment on your part. Non-committal Christianity, per se, doesn't do this because it's about us and what's convenient to us. 
And let's be honest, for many of us, we are more committed to other things than Jesus. Jesus is important. It makes me a good moral person. You believe in him. The cross means a lot to you. But at the end of the day, if we're really honest, there's a lot of other things that take priority and that we're more committed to. We spend more money, more time, more anxiety on, more stress on than Jesus. And dying to yourself is saying, Jesus is the most important thing. And I want everybody to know that. I want to kind of crush this misconception. I, I, I didn't know this until really studying this a couple weeks ago. When I think of like the cross and the crucifixion, I often think of like, you see this in paintings, like the hillside where like three crosses, you know, and the criminals and Jesus and the sunset. And it's kind of off in the distance, right? Are you with me? You kind of see that picture? Well, here's the misconception. That's not how crucifixions worked. That, that might've happened every now and then, but usually when a crucifixion happened, it was because they were crucifying a criminal who broke law and they wanted to make an example of that person. And so what they did is that when someone was to be crucified, the entire town knew this person's taking up their cross. This person's gonna be arrested. They're gonna carry their cross. They're gonna be crucified. That was how it worked in, in the Roman empire. And so then what happened is when that person was crucified, they didn't go to like some private setting into the woods and they didn't want anybody to see it. You know what they did? They put it right on the road for everybody to see. Think about this. You leave church today, you go up to the intersection right here at Woodruff Road and bam, right there at that stoplight is someone on a cross. They wanted to make the example, say, don't do this. This is what happens. There is no such thing as a private crucifixion. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, it isn't a, I'm gonna follow Jesus, but I'm gonna do it over here really quietly. Because I don't know, I don't want my family to be offended. And I don't know what people are gonna say at work. And I don't know, I don't really know like all this other stuff. So I'm just gonna kind of do it quietly over here. Now, listen, I'm not, I don't think Jesus wants us to be obnoxious with our Christianity. We've all met those people and no one likes them, okay? But for us to be out there, people need to know. It's not something private. If you are taking up your cross, you don't do that in privacy. You do that for everyone to see, not so that everyone will see, but so that Jesus can be glorified. That people can see Jesus in you saying, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I'm willing to die for my relationship with God. That's a huge um, chasm between the early church and rapidly growing Christianity, dying for the sake of their, uh, their faith, as opposed to us in a lot of ways. They were committed. They were willing to hang upside down, to be crucified, to be burned at the stake, to be stoned. You know what we do? This is what we do. Starbucks stopped saying Merry Christmas on their cups. They say Happy Holidays and we're being persecuted. Think about that. The, the early Christian church would be like, are you serious? Are you serious? As my kids would say, that's a cap, <laughs> you know? And so like, um, some of you with kids, you're like, I know what you're talking about. The other was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's fine, I don't either. I, don't, I just said, so I just talk, just talk sometimes. So. But the thing is, the reality is that the early Christian church, when Jesus said, take up your cross, it meant business. It meant commitment. It meant cost. It meant something is going to happen in my life. Do people know that you have taken up the cross of Christ? 
that you've denied yourself, you've died to yourself, and it's all about Jesus. Do your kids see that? Your coworkers, your spouse, all those things. And then finally, man, this is the invitation this morning. Man, if we're gonna be a disciple of Jesus, not only do we need to deny ourselves and die to ourselves, we need to follow Jesus. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. Man, with someone who has ADHD, it is so easy to be like squirrel and follow something else, right? But Jesus wants us to run this race with a narrow vision, looking at him and saying, man, all my life is here. All of everything I want and dream, it's here. It needs to be through the filter of Jesus. How am I honoring him? Am I doing what he's asked? Am I following his word? Am I obeying um, who he's called me to be? Do I need to stop doing things that don't honor him? Do I need to start doing things he's asked me to do? Am I following him? And that starts with this moment of surrender to say, you know what? You're right, Dustin, it's not about me. And as I mentioned, it's all about being captivated by him. As we saw last week in Mary, just sitting at the feet of Jesus Does Jesus have all of your heart? Because similar to that parable of the banquet, what's gonna end up happening is he's inviting you to that feast, to man, for you to experience life like never before. And a lot of times we say, you know what? I bought some property, I need to go check it out. I got some other things on my plate, God. I'll I'll get serious about that later. And Jesus is saying, come right now. Man, come to Jesus this morning. Come to his feet, wherever you're hurting, wherever you're empty, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're kind of half-heartedly approaching, man, give it all to Jesus. And I firmly believe that if every single one of us in this room, as a team, as a church family, as a body of believers, man, we're going after that, we are gonna see God continue to do amazing things in the life of our church. I love uh, Acts 2, where the church is together, they're sharing all these things, they have this community, they're striving after the same thing, rowing in the same boat, essentially. And because of that, it says in verse 42 of chapter two, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, I wanna see some people saved. I wanna see some lives changed. And that starts with us being captivated by Jesus, not culturally and not half-heartedly, but being fully committed. Let's pray together. Father. We come to your feet and wow, man, a challenge to take up our cross. To be honest, that's a scary thought. That's a hard challenge. We got a lot of other things. It's, man, that's uncomfortable. That's hard. I just don't know. There's a lot of what ifs. But Father, I pray through the power of your spirit that this morning we say, you know what? Jesus was right. I need to deny myself. I do need to take up my cross daily. I need to be willing to die to to myself, to my desires. I want it to be about Jesus. I don't want people just to see me. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see his grace and his mercy and his compassion. And when someone thinks that Christianity is all about these rules and, and all the things that the Pharisees thought, that they see someone who's diseased like ourselves and Jesus reach out, and save. And so God, as we respond to your word this morning, let us evaluate our hearts and our minds, our calendars, our schedules, the what ifs, and surrender to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand.
Let's respond to God and his word this morning and let's just sing about the goodness of who he is and how he changes our life.